Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or, hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley. Holy moly. Oh. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today... Right for the Kings Herald, my co-host Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Well, it's uh, it's going all right. I'd like to issue a, a get well soon note to De'Aaron Fox, but it's going pretty good otherwise. <laughs> He's a, a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, the general manager of the WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. He's the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you too, as always. <laughs> Well, um, we are uh, we're looking at a three and two record in December so far for the Kings, with uh, some good and bad games scattered throughout. Um, just enough to make our pod interesting. Uh, December started off with a barn burner in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Uh, uh, so much good stuff that you could actually hear light the beam chance in the fourth quarter there at the end uh, in Crypto.com Arena. We got a, a gutsy win against the Bulls at home. We saw a 19 to 0 run to close out a game and snatch a victory from the bowels of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we've also seen the other side of things, uh, a squint and you'll miss it, moral victory against the Bucks, And then maybe the ugliest game of the season, uh, an absolutely hapless loss to the New York Knicks. So uh, in the words of Charles Dickens, it was the best of games. It was the worst of games, a season of wisdom and a season of foolishness. And boy, have we seen it all in the first 12 days of December. So guys, What's been your take uh, these last two weeks of Kings basketball? What, what are your thoughts on all this? You know, my thoughts are pretty simple. I mean, the team is above 500. Uh, they have a win margin, I think, around three, which would put them fifth or sixth in the entire NBA. They played more road games than home, home games. Uh, so who going in this season wouldn't have been satisfied with that? Uh, <laughs> uh, certainly the, the next game wasn't the best of times. But, uh, you know, hey, uh, this, this team is, is everything, honestly, that more than I hoped it could be. So I, I'm not going to overreact to anything at this stage. Yeah, I know we're, we're recording this episode of the show right after the Kings played what was probably their worst game of the season against the Knicks. So there is some disappointment there. But as a whole, it's hard to be too disappointed with where the Kings are at. They're certainly better than... I would have predicted through, through uh, I don't know, roughly 30% of the way through the season. 
Um, and the Knicks lost without De'Aaron Fox. And, you know, a couple nights before that, they beat a Cavaliers team that they probably should have lost to without De'Aaron Fox. And Sabonis was just so good that, that they beat the Cavaliers anyways. So yeah, you know, the Knicks loss was bad and, and the Fox injury is concerning. The record is still very strong. And on the, on the good side, Keegan Murray seems to have broken out of the slump that we spent a, a good amount of time talking about on the last episode of the show. Uh, really returning to form as a shooter, uh, both from three and from two, and and that's huge. You know, you you rookies are not a, a sure thing, even though Keegan Murray has has really sort of passed every test so far. But to see him break out of a slump so quickly and and return to being a very efficient and helpful player is is great news for the Kings. So I'm not going to harp too much on a really really rough loss against the Knicks. This road trip was always going to be difficult. They're one and two so far with with a few more difficult games coming forward. So hopefully they can pick up uh, one or two of those games and and return to Sacramento uh, still in a in a good spot in the West, despite a, a rough Eastern Conference road trip. Yeah, Jerry, I enjoyed your uh, view from a thousand feet here where last season we we never had it nearly as good as just these last these last, you know, five or so games with the Kings. So. I kind of see it as a cosmic coincidence here that uh, the Kings finished the game with the Cavs on a 19 to 0 run. And then they gave up a 19 to two run in the first quarter against the Knicks. Like I'm like, oh, this team is truly a 500 team, give or take a couple of games. And that was, that was one of those things that was pretty much a 500 run there too. Yeah, really the, the Nick game, I thought, well, this is a team that we've talked about it in my mind. It has to make threes, you know, this is the team that has to make threes in order to win. They didn't do that. They needed, and and basically to win, they need a spark from the bench. Malik Monk has given them that consistently. He couldn't do that. Uh, I thought the value of uh, Davion Mitchell was really thwarted with two quick fouls. Uh, not saying they're, you know, I don't want to play the, oh, they were playing eight against five crap, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, they, you know. Kings and the Kings couldn't make free throws. They got a lot more of them than did the Knicks couldn't make them. So you can't blame anybody but yourselves for that. So it was just one of those things that in my mind, yeah, what this team needs to do to, to win is take care of the ball. They didn't make threes. They didn't make free throws. They didn't. Now I don't think a single guy uh, tried to miss free throws, miss threes and turn the ball over. So, you know, it's just one of those deals. Hopefully next game will they'll be back on track. You guys, uh, uh, obviously, uh, obviously five and three is better than than uh, than most of any stretch of last season. Do you guys see anything in in the uh, the last five or so games that that gives you reason for concern, or is this one of those stretches where you know you're going up against some incredibly tough defenses like the the Bucks were uh, the second best defense in the league, the Cavaliers were the best defense in the league. Is this just a tough stretch for them, or have you seen anything that you can kind of poke at and go, uh, I, I can, I can wiggle in here a little bit and say, Oh, the Kings need to do this better or that better. Jerry, you, you mentioned taking care of the ball and, and hitting three pointers. Is this just a stretch for the Kings or do you see any pervasive patterns here that we need to watch out for? I, I think the only thing I'd be concerned about is, is this is not a good rebounding team, sure. you know, other than Sabonis. And that's what the only thing that scare, has scared me all years. If anything happened to Sabonis, I think you can generally play with about anybody else, and they've proven that. Uh, although certainly having Fox against the Knicks would have been nice, somebody that can maybe create his own shot. But, but I mean, the rebounding on a consistent basis, is they're not real good at it. So, uh, in my opinion, is they've been able to win, 
quite a bit because, you know, they, they've forced more turnovers. You know, they've been good about that. And they, and they have not turned it over much. So, so you know, they, they, but it's a fine line. And, you know, it's a fine line. And, and when, like I say, that when you're not taking care of the ball, <clears throat> I mean, and not rebounding well, well, then it really does show up. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little little early to to call this out as a full blown issue, but you're you're starting to see just a very little bit the depth getting called into question, especially the loss against the Knicks. But uh, you can see what not having a player like De'Aaron Fox does to you. It forces Davion Mitchell into the starting lineup. So what was a very strong defensive bench unit gets a little bit weaker. Uh, and then what happens when Malik Monk is not shooting well? Monk, I don't think Monk scored a single point in the first quarter against the Knicks, and the bench got uh, the bench got roasted against that Knicks team. So uh, if this bench and the bench had been so good, especially Malik Monk, who if we're taking a if you're just watching the games and kind of put the numbers aside for a second, Monk has been taking wild shots all year, and they've been going in. So if if those those shots that were going in start to start to go in the other direction and players cool off. And then uh, bench players are have to, having to move into the starting lineup because of injuries. The depth might not be the, the, uh, the thing we thought it was. It's early to say that, but just something, just, I guess a, a very early cause for concern is that bench did not look good against the Knicks in part because Fox was out. And if Monk isn't hitting shots and Terrence Davis isn't hitting shots and Casey Okpala is not going to be your offensive threat there, you, you might need to find some offense off the bench at some point here. So, so we talked a little bit about Darren Fox's injury, and uh, we were wondering uh, last episode if there was something going on with his drop in production. Uh, his wife, Rose, came out literally the next day after our podcast dropped and said uh, he was fighting through uh, like a stomach bug and, more importantly, a foot injury uh, that he sustained during the Orlando Magic game. Jerry, I'm sure you've been in this situation as a coach. Obviously, there's a distinction between playing hurt and playing, playing injured. How do you as a coach and, and as a GM, if, if, if you want to answer from that perspective too, how do you handle knowing your star wants to play hurt and like balancing, you know, what he can do on the court versus like the benefits of him resting a couple of games? Well, I mean, I think, I do think it's a credit to De'Aaron that he want, wanted to play and was playing and playing fairly well, really. I mean, he wasn't quite yeah. the same level that he was, but so uh, I mean, I, at some point as a coach, though, you you want to listen to your medical people as well as the player. And and many times it's a case where, well, yeah, he's he's got a sore toe or something, but he won't do any more damage to it. He can play if he wants to play and play through it, that type of thing. And I think that's what was happening with Darren. You know, he wanted to play. They didn't see a real danger in it, but it wasn't getting better. And so well, okay, we better just set you down for a while. So to me, it, at the end of it, uh, they probably handle it the only way you can handle it. I think you, you, uh, you know, you, you want to listen to your player, but you also, at some point, you've got to listen to the medical people uh, and, and all that. And, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But I, I, I was kind of, be honest with you, I was kind of happy to see that De'Aaron wanted to try to play through it, which I'm not sure he would have, would have in years past. So, I think that's a real credit to him and the kind of year that, that he's sort of having. Uh, it sort of surprised me how quick uh, fans turned on him. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I think he might be the only talented player in the league almost that if he, 
if he misses two shots in a row, people are ready to throw him overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, I, I was happy to hear that he was fighting through an injury, and I was just as happy to hear that they were going to sit him for a couple games too. It was one of those things like, all right, to a point, like give him two games off, let the guy's foot heal up a little bit, see how that reacts to it, and then, then throw him back out there on the court. Tony, what about you? As, as a fan, were you ready to throw a um, – you know, I know how hot-headed you can be. Are you throwing Darren Fox under the bus two seconds after his second missed shot? Uh, I was not. In fact, I was more than any anyone or, or anything at, like, happy that he was playing. I liked the urgency the Kings showed in keeping him on the court and and not um, – I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. I – kind of like to leave it to the to the medical people to decide if he should or shouldn't play from a from a making an injury worse standpoint um but if a player wants to play through it i am just happy that fox was on the court and up until the point where the medical staff says he can't be on the court anymore and then they take him off so i had no issue with how the kings handled this how darren fox handled it even with how darren fox was playing yes he wasn't playing great but you can't tell me the kings wouldn't have benefited from having fox on the court against the Knicks, even at his uh, less effective state. So um, if he could have played in those games, great. If he can't, that's fine too. But I would take a injured but playing through it Fox over not having him at all. So that's those are just the circumstances. It kind of is what it is. But at the end of the day, I, I was just happy to see the urgency from the Kings to push their guys to keep playing, keep beating teams, keep racking up wins because the games – early on in the season count just as much as the ones at the end of the season. And we've seen this Kings organization as a whole give up a lot of early season games. And it doesn't seem like that, uh, that attitude is there anymore. It seems like this team is really trying to go out there and win every single, every single night. Jerry, we discussed uh, Davion Mitchell as a starter prior to the season starting that maybe we would move Fox to more of a shooting guard role and Davion into uh, the starting point guard role. Uh, how do you feel like he's done? He started three games this season so far. He's at eight points, four assists. He shot a total of three of eight from, from deep in those three starts. How do you feel like he's done handling the starting position? You know, I think he's done okay. I I, I thought, uh, you know, I, and we kind of have to go back even to Charlotte where Fox got hurt early and Davion really yeah. played the majority of the game and got a, a, a win there. So, you know, I think he's filled in admirably now. Uh, is, is he – a finished product? No, he's not. I, I think honestly, Davion is more valuable to this team, uh, probably in the role that Mike Brown is using him uh, off the bench as a defensive, uh, you know, instigator type thing. And and I thought that the Knicks game uh, would was really a situation where it might have went a little different if he hadn't got foul trouble. I really believe that because you know, but Brunson's a tough cover, uh, but a very important cover. And but it just so happens that really Davion wasn't able to have the kind of the impact that I expected. Uh, you know, I mean, we saw, you know, basically, uh, you know, Davion play against Cleveland and uh, and 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 get a win. So so I guess I, I, what I'm saying is, is he exactly what you want as a point guard right now? I don't think so. Uh, uh, can he ever be? I think that's way too early to say. I, I do think he's a very valuable part of this winning basketball team, though. I do that because he has had an impact, and he almost always has an impact in the game. It's just not how most people are used to seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and so, yeah, Davion, you know, at the end of it, we had to look at it. Hey, uh, he, he's part of the solution. He ain't part of the problem. He just, he just pro probably isn't a 35-minute guy. Sure. Not yet or not ever. 
Well, not yet. I, I would sure. never say ne never. I mean, he's like I said that before, and you know, and I know probably some people think, you know, that I've about brain cells are deteriorating, but but uh, I mean, he's better. He is better than Kyle Lowry was at the same stage. He just is. And now, does that mean he's going to be better than Kyle Lowry in seven or eight years? No, it doesn't. But it means he could be. And if that ain't good enough, then then he can damn sure be your point of guard. Give him time. Tony, how have you felt about uh, Davion in his starting role these last couple of games? I've been a little disappointed. Um, he started. He ended the season last year so strong that you know the the lack of scoring has been uh, frustrating only because the Kings really needed it. Uh, I think in, in every game without Fox, they really could have used a lead guard score. But I also don't think that that should be his role, even if he was starting for this team. The the appealing thing to me with Davion Mitchell starting is not having him be the, the lead offensive guard. I want him starting with De'Aaron Fox. So I don't really think that negates any people who have the position that Davion should start. Um, this is not like having him. Uh, as their the primary scorer from the perimeter is is not something that I think he can handle right now in a regular basis. So if he has a couple of rough games in that role, I'm not shocked. But I still really like his uh, defense. And if the Kings do start him somewhere down the line, I would not expect it to be with him. You know, expected to score 20 plus points a night. I, I would expect it to be with another guard who can really uh, put the ball in the bucket. How did you feel about uh, Matthew Dellavedova stepping in as the backup point guard in these last couple of games, guys? Well, Matt, I, I mean, I have to say, I mean, he's been a much better player than I anticipated. So I'll, I'll uh, take, yeah. take uh, gas on that one, but uh, you know, he, he's a limited role player and knows who he is. Uh, I think guys like playing with him. Uh, if, if you got to play Matt every night, uh, 25 minutes don't be surprised if you start losing games uh you know <laughs> but but i mean i i think he's a good guy to have on this roster and he's the guy that uh you know coach brown would probably like to use about five minutes every three or four games and uh and so that so that's that you know he's uh he's you know he, he's a good good bottom of the roster player and i'm glad they got him but uh yeah uh davion needs to play better without Fox. And, and as uh, Tony, a, a good point Tony made, I, I really think Dave, where Davion would be the best is playing with Fox because, yeah. and certainly with Sabonis, you, you know, you, you get, you know, basically he can do what he does without having to score because Fox can, and, uh, and, and he really doesn't have to make a lot of plays. He can just go out there and, and be who he is a little, little instigator and, and so 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 i just think it, it it'd be easier for his game with fox playing with him when he's on the floor or you know a, a really disruptive score like fox is i definitely think that malik monk is a blueprint for like the way davion plays with malik is a, a blueprint for how the how davion can play with Darren fox at yes some, point, some way down the road yeah. Uh, Tony, uh, break Bryant West's heart here. Tell me how you feel about uh, Matthew Delavan over <laughs> these last couple of games. I mean, Delhi wasn't my preferred third point guard in the in the offseason. He wasn't, but he's been. I guess I think I think I would agree with Jerry. He's been better than I thought he would be. At the same time, when I look at the box score into the first quarter and I see that he played more minutes than Davion because of foul trouble, I probably could have told you that it it wasn't going to be a winning quarter <laughs> for for the uh, for the Kings there. So. 
in spurts, he's fine. Uh, as a third point guard, he's been fine. He seems like a great locker room guy. So I have no issue with him or his role in this team. But um, that was just a position where Davion Mitchell can't get into foul trouble because the domino effect and there and there's the depth again, you know, D- uh, Del-, Del Vadova good for five minutes a quarter, probably an eight minute stretch is too much for him at this stage. And, and the Kings did not perform well in those minutes. So we uh, we we mentioned Keegan Murray last time and the slump that he's been on, and as such, he's uh, very quickly turned it around. Just to answer all the calls that we've uh, put out to him um, in his last seven games, he's averaging uh, fifteen point seven points, uh, four point six rebounds. He's shooting forty six point seven percent from three on over six attempts a game. He's shooting fifty percent overall on the season for or uh, in this stretch uh, from the field. How do you guys feel like uh, Keegan Murray's been doing and how he's turned around uh, after his? after his uh, latest slump as a rookie? Well, I think he's playing a lot better. And certainly, as Tony pointed out, the, the numbers are there to prove it. Uh, I think he's playing a lot more aggressive. You know, he's, he's rebounding. Those numbers aren't very good, but they're a lot better than they were. So it's, it's heading the right direction. So uh, really, really glad that uh, Coach Brown stayed with him and certainly looked like his teammates did too. You know, I mean, I think, the, you know, he's one of those guys I think people like playing with. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I just, he's just was too good a player to play like he was playing there for two or three games. And so, you know, he's back on track. Uh, you know, there's no reason he can't be a, a really top level player in this league with it, a shooting stroke like that. Jerry, for, for a rookie like that, um, how big are games like uh, that Clippers game where they left him out there in a blowout? And allowed him to just kind of go out there and 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 be the guy for a little while. How big is that in terms of breaking a slump, too? Well, I thought it was it's big, and and you know, credit here again to the to the coach and the coaching staff because you know it's it's something that I think he needed. Uh, you know, just sometimes as a definitely he was heading the wrong direction, <laughs> and uh, you know, was starting to press, and you could see in some of his shots where. He really was 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 kind of trying to talk him in instead of shoot him in, and now he's back to just just a gorgeous stroke on the ball. Every ball looks good, uh, you know. He's one of those good shooters that when he misses, it's long or short. It's not right or left. It's long or short, and uh, and so yeah, I, I think everything's everything's heading right for Keegan. It's it, you know uh, we can make whatever judgments we want about all the other rookies and him later on, but but. Uh, I think the Kings have got to be overall should be pretty pleased with where he is. Tony, what about you? How do you feel about Keegan recently? Uh, one of my favorite things about Keegan Murray is that um, his demeanor really never changed, whether he was <laughs> slumping or not slumping. He kept going out there. He kept shooting. He kept making his cuts. He kept moving off Sabonis. He kept playing defense. So, uh, And that was one of the reasons why I think uh, unanimously on this podcast, we all really weren't worried about the slump to begin with, because he, he does seem like such a disciplined player in – his approach and how he carries himself every single night. Uh, seeing him hit those shots, though, is a, is a huge, uh, a huge uh, win for the Kings because they they obviously need his shooting, especially now more than ever with Fox out. Although hopefully Fox will be back shortly. Um, but I thought Murray was one of the few players that that was decent against the Knicks, and seeing his shooting stroke come back is um, it's huge. But also not at all surprising because that's that's who Keegan Murray has really been outside of what, you know, a week and a half of basketball, two weeks of basketball since the Kings drafted him, he has been a, a very good offensive player. And I think his defense has been pretty good too. Um, he's always getting better on that end too. 
Yeah, he's shown some ability to block shots. I think yeah. that, you know, I mean, he's a pretty lively guy. And uh, like I say, he's shown more aggression, which which uh, I like. But, uh, you know, I just love – I just think the kid's going to be awfully good. Uh, will he be the best? Will he be a, you know – second coming LeBron James. I don't think so, but, but uh, I think the Kings are going to be awful happy. They've got him. He's blocking almost a shot a game over that, that, that same stretch there, Jerry. So you're right to point that out. You, you know, well, one other yeah. thing too, you know, I've noticed teams that now are starting to double team uh, Sabonis a lot more. Yeah. And I think that's going to, and that's opened up some nice shots because, you know, Sabonis ain't got a selfish bone in his body, but it's opened up some shots for Keegan. And so if, if Keegan can continue to shoot him in like he has been, then that maybe will get some of those double teams away. And of course, Sabonis is going to be effective regardless, but I think he can even be maybe a little more effective offensively if possible. I'm curious only because I saw some people talking about this. Uh, I don't know if it was the Kings Herald or on Twitter, but where do you think Keegan Murray tops out as a rebounder? Only because he has been, I don't want to say necessarily say disappointing as a rookie in terms of a rebounder, but as a as a small forward, as a power forward or a future power forward, his rebounding kind of leaves a little bit to the desired. How, where do you, where do you see him topping out as a rebounder and where do you think he needs to, uh, to fix that, to get up to that level? Well, well, he should get up to the seven, seven and a half category. Uh, now I don't know they will this year, but, but I mean, he's capable of that he needs to get there. I mean, Harrison needs to get up to close to that as well. Because right now, you know, if if, DeMont, if Sabonis doesn't get him, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, he's he's uh, like a man on an island a lot of times in there. Uh, but I do think, I mean, I do think that uh, Keegan has shown more aggressive, and he's ta- you know went in there for some contested rebounds. And I think as he uh, learns the league and feels a little more confidence, you know, in in his body, what it takes. I mean, it's a different game, and so. Uh, a little more physical game. So I think he'll get there, but he needs to get there. Uh, does he have to get there this year? Pro- wish he would, but, but I, but I think he will in time. And, and, and I, I don't see him, I guess for me, he's a, he's a, he's a big, he's a wing. I mean, he's really not a true small forward, not a true power forward. He's really, you know, the Hito Turkoglu, he's a three and a half. Sure. And, uh, and, and that's fine because in today's game, I mean, you could, you know, that's kind of what Harrison is. You got two threes and a half. And uh, I always say that was the old deal with the Orlando team with Hedo and uh, Richard Lewis. Neither one were power forwards and neither one were pure threes, but they were pretty damn good. They got the NBA finals. Talk to me a little bit about how uh, Demonis Sabonis has been playing the late. He's, he's obviously been on kind of a stretch recently where he's, he's kind of had to do it all with Fox kind of wavering a little bit with his foot. Sabonis has kind of had to pick up the scoring, had to pick up the assists and the rebounds, everything else. Talk to me about how Sabonis is playing right now. No, he's playing terrific. You know, he's an all-star in the West. You know, other than Jokic, what big man's playing better? You know, you can't name one uh, that's playing better. Uh, and and like I say, such a unselfish guy. I mean, a truly a tough buckaroo on a team that don't have a lot of tough buckaroos <laughs> and uh, you know, no, he's, he's been terrific. Uh, his free throw shooting has kind of slipped a little bit of late, which, you know, he had a stretch where he made them all and then now, now starting to miss them. But I wish he would go ahead and take some more perimeter shots. He, 
you know, he certainly has been making them of late, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, uh, go ahead. You, you know, you're allowed to miss threes. Everybody else does uh, take one, take one now. And then, and, and I think too, around the basket, I, I kind of wish he'd be, once he's in there, he's always looking to kick it out. I kind of wish he would uh, go ahead. You know, he draws fouls and, and he gets calls by the way. I know our fans don't sit that way, but uh, you know, it's one of those deals where, you know, big guys that are aggressive, the aggressive guy gets calls and he'll go in there and, you know, plow into a bunch of guys and, and, and get to the line. And I, I mean, that's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's always been. But a lot of times it's like, well, he created all the contact himself. <laughs> Time he whammed and bammed and, and, and all that. But uh, no, he's, I love watching a guy play. I mean, because I know I'm going overboard here, but my gosh, he's unselfish. And I mean, and his stamina and I mean, he sets more screens in one game than most bigs set in five games, Yeah, you know, and good screens. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I mean, he's, he's their MVP, you know, I mean, I mean, Fox is their most talented offensive player, but Demonis Sabonis is clearly the MVP of this team. All right, Tony. So, so Jerry obviously is feeling pretty strong about uh, Sabonis right now. How are you feeling about him th- these last few weeks? It's hard to complain when he's shooting, I think, a 38% from three now on the season, which means he's really picked it up because his early season shooting numbers were not were not, were not very good. Um, he's also drawing a ton of fouls. I think I saw that he's, uh, I had the numbers from cleaning the ga- glass, uh, 95th percentile in drawing fouls for for big men in the NBA, which is pretty good. The one thing that, that does concern me about Zabonis, for as good as he's playing, he does kind of uh, remind me of DeMarcus Cousins in that he's on the floor all the time. He's getting the shit kicked out of him <laughs> in the post on every play, and that just makes me worried about injuries. I think uh, against the Knicks, he was on the floor with his head down like three different times, whether he's getting poked in the eye, smacked in the face. And he's a he's a big, strong dude. You know, he can, he can withstand so much of that punishment. But, man, he's... For as well as he's playing, he's really getting the the shit kicked out of him every single night. So I hope I hope that uh, doesn't doesn't turn into anything beyond you know an eye poke here and there because he's he's playing very well and obviously he's the most important person on this roster. If he's injured, there really is no replacing what he gives the Kings every night. Do you agree with Jerry that he's a that he's an All Star in the Western Conference? I think so. I think this team has has certainly earned a spot if if things keep going this way and Sabonis has been the most irreplaceable guy on the roster so yes if he's not an all-star i think sacramento can can go by the pitchforks can go charge adam silver's office and and make it right you know the one other thing on him you know and i i, I just look at the numbers and it's always amazing his uh shot efficiency or scoring efficiency he's like 1.68 i mean that's that's michael jordan territory you know it's actually yeah. a little better you know that's i mean that's my gosh you just and like Tony said, you know, taking the punishment. Now, here's the other side of it, though, Tony. He he puts out a little punishment too, because I'm telling you, he I'm telling does. you, there's some <laughs> there's some young young folks there covering up when the big boy comes in there too. So uh, so it goes. It's a so. Uh, but, but yeah, you you do this team. You know, you he you you can you just can't can't go very long with him. Not part of it. I, so he's got to stay healthy. Yeah, that does remind me of a, a DeMarcus Cousins quote, not to mention him again, but someone asked him, you know, who is the hardest opponent that he would go up against? And he, he would always say the Memphis Grizzlies, not because of the skill, but because you feel that game like for the next week going up against Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph. And I think Sabonis is the same thing. If you play against Sabonis, 
you're feeling that the next day. You're feeling that for a couple of games because he's gonna he's gonna kick the shit out of you too. Uh, Tony, I don't want to I don't want to scoot past this. Jerry uh, gave us the headline for the next for this podcast episode. If it's not that Jerry's claiming that he's better than uh, that's a bonus is better than Michael Jordan, then uh, then you failed in your job <laughs> in making that graph. Oh, you do that. holy! <laughs> We're gonna twist no. your words, Jerry. <laughs> We're gonna get some views no, on this. No, one. I did. <laughs> I didn't say he's better than Michael Jordan. Now. We can throw some ellipses in there. Scoring efficiency. <laughs> yeah. We'll be, we'll make that work. Tony, mark it down. That's what Jerry's Jerry's giving us enough views for the next year on this one. But I will say this: other than uh, Jokic, he's the best big in the West. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's inarguable at this point of the season. Okay, so I want to jump over to uh, to Kevin Herter now. Who is uh, who is certainly doing the opposite of whatever Demonis Sabonis is doing? He's uh, he's regressing quite hard to the mean right now. Over his last eight <laughs> games, shooting twenty two point six percent from deep, forty one point six percent overall. Is this a regression to the mean? Or I, I know there was somebody talking about maybe he dinged up his shoulder a little bit. Or is this something to be worried about right now? This is this is almost a ten game stretch now where he hasn't even shot twenty five percent from 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 behind the arc. What do you guys feel about uh, how Kevin Herter is doing, just especially from this offensive end of things? Well, uh, you know, I guess from my, my way I'd look at it because, I mean, I, I didn't expect him to shoot as well all year as he did there for a while. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, he, he's probably going to be a, a 40% three-point shooter. You know, his career would kind of indicate that. Uh, he, you know, to, to expect him to shoot 50% or thereabouts all year, a bit much. I, I do think uh, – He's not getting as as many open looks as he got earlier. I do think teams have scouted him pretty well, you know, with some of the screens and all that. So that's part of it. But he's smart. He'll, he'll figure it out. And it, but I guess to your question, is it a regression to the mean? Probably a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All, all things being considered, uh, he is shooting 41.6% from, from, from deep over the season. So that's still, that's still damn good. It's just – it's all coming in one stretch of games where he's falling back to earth, and it feels a little sudden for me. Tony, how do you feel about Kevin Herter on this? Yeah, this is this is a uh, I guess a credit to the team Monty McNair put together is that these issues, these like highs and lows that players would go through during a season, would cripple the Kings in previous years. You couldn't afford a stretch where Buddy Heald wasn't shooting well, or or you had no shooting. But this team can can play around slumps, and I think they've done that pretty well. Uh, when Keegan Murray was slumping, Harrison Barnes picked it up. Uh, now that Kevin Herter is slumping, Keegan Murray's picking it back up. So everyone's not going to be great every single night. It's kind of a, it's a boring answer, but like you said, well, he's still shooting 40, 42% from the, from three, almost. That's about where you expect him to be uh, when the season is over. The one thing about Kevin Herter that he's struggled with all year, which I find so bizarre is his free throw shooting. Um, mm-hmm. He'll take free throw shooting uh, for technical fouls. The rare occasion that he actually gets fouled. And the fact that Herter is only shooting 68% from the field uh, from free throw, I don't want it to blow it up into this big thing. Cause he's only taking two and a half of uh, free throws a night, but it's just, it's very strange. I, I can't figure out why Kevin Herter can't hit his free throws. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that. It's just a weird Kevin Herter thing. That is a weird one. I, I, I'm fully expecting him to kind of pull a Nick Van Exel and just take two steps back and just start <laughs> taking it from three, a wide open three might be better for him than taking a free throw right now. Okay. So uh, now we get into the juicy part of, of, of the podcast. Uh, we have trade rumors, which is great. Uh, Bleacher reports, Eric Pincus. Uh, he gave us a little bit of a juicy uh, rumor mongering session recently. 
mentioning uh, a couple of names that I want to get your guys' opinion on. Um, he, he mentioned that the Kings still have um, eyes on Kyle Kuzma. He's still on their radar after the after the uh, Lakers yanked him away last second last season. He also mentioned that both uh, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi are both uh, of interest to the Kings as the Raptors start to maneuver their pieces to be a little bit closer to um, to Scotty Barnes's timeline. Uh, what do you guys think of these particular players and their fits? Uh, and and probably more to the point. Do you even think that Sacramento has the assets uh, to acquire either of these three guys? Well, you know, for me, I mean, Siakam is an all-star level player. Now, he's 29, I think, and he's making 29 million. So, you know, what it would take to get him uh, would be significant. I'm not sure that that would make sense uh, because, I mean, yeah, if you can get him, you know, for Rashawn Holmes and two second round picks and a partridge in a pear tree, but, uh, you know, but that's not going to happen. Uh, so, you know, and as good as the other two guys are, Kuzma and Ananobi, I'm not sure they move the needle. Uh, certainly, I like uh, Ananobi better than Kuzma for this team, but because I think they've got a young Kuzma now that's probably better fit in named Keegan Murray. Uh, but... Uh, but, you know, Siakam, if you had Siakam on this roster and didn't have to give up any key players, well, you could jump right into the thick of things. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think you can without giving up key players. And so, yeah. so I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd be one of those people right now, but I kind of like where they're, where they, they're ahead of where I thought they'd be. And, and uh, you know, I mean, certainly trade if it can improve your team. But but if you have to tear your team up to get something, get something that you like a little bit, I, I I don't think I would do it. Tony, I want a championship right now this season. How do I get there? <laughs> uh, you probably make a trade with the Raptors because I don't think Kyle <laughs> Kuzma is getting you there. For as, <laughs> for as much as I uh, somewhat sometimes enjoy Kyle Kuzma, I don't think he gets you anywhere near as close as Siakam or OG would get you. This, these rumors are interesting because in, in years past for the Kings, I'm, I'm trading everyone. You know, there's nobody safe. Let's trade everybody. But the chemistry is so different and good this year that I do think there's special considerations you have to make with any move where a, where a core piece gets traded. And I think all these trades would require a core piece to, to be moved out. At the same time, uh, Monty McNair is a pretty forward-thinking general manager. He traded for Domantis Sabonis at the deadline in a year where the Kings had really no shot in making a splash. So he was making a trade for the following season. In this case, you've got uh, great chemistry, but you've also got a guy in Harrison Barnes who is a free agent at the end of the year. So if McNair is looking forward, while maybe, you know, Kyle Kuzma, you don't want to mess with the chemistry, same with Siakam or OG. If you're losing Harrison Barnes at the end of the year, and who knows if you do, you know, you can always resign him. You can, you can do something else. But those names, while the chemistry is a concern now and messing with that, uh, if you're looking forward to next year, you know, I can, I can make a case for any, for acquiring any of those players in, in that light, in the light that you might be losing a big piece in Barnes anyways. And you, you do need to restock that you can't really afford to lose Barnes for nothing. We saw how valuable he's been these last few weeks. So, uh, there's an argument for, and against, I guess, a trade here, but I would just say of all three players, OG is the most appealing to me. His defense on the wing is something the Kings don't really have in the starting lineup. I think it'd be a, a starter, obviously, if he was traded here. Um, but either one of those Toronto Raptors players, I would take a serious look at. And and Kuzma, for as for as good as he can be, and he's been pretty good in, in Washington, 
Uh, I just like Keegan Murray there. Like, I, I don't think the upgrade is is so great that it's worth removing a, a rookie who's playing well from his position next to Sabonis. I, I really like where Murray is in that spot. And I don't think I, I would move much to, to replace him with Kuzma at this stage. Do either of you think that you could pull either of those Raptors players for anything less than Keegan Murray? Is there is there a universe where you, you look at OG Ananobi and the Raptors go, okay, well, we don't need Keegan Murray. We would like Picks and Harrison Barnes. Like uh, I've I've seen some Kings fans get real creative with some uh, with some trades because Kings fans, if they're good at anything in this world, it is it is turning turning nothing into something, and turning something into way too much. And uh, I'm curious as to what you guys think. If Keegan is involved in these trades, is that worth an Ananobi, or is this something where Keegan Murray's two or three years from now is going to be at that level of player and not worth not worth the swap? Well, I, I think that's what, that's the tough part about trade rumors. You really don't know yeah. uh, what what they're looking for, and I suspect they're looking for a lot more than than, than uh, you know. Yeah, they, w- would they trade those guys? Sure, uh, but they're not going to trade them for a couple of second rounds and guys that aren't really key players. And yeah, so if you got to give up Keegan Murray to get Ananobi. I wouldn't do it. And I think Ananobi's a better player than he is right now, but I just wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, I could be proven wrong, certainly down the road, but I, I'd almost be surprised in, within three years that he'll be the better player and, uh, and maybe the more healthy player uh, because uh, Ananobi has missed a lot of time. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if, yeah, it depends on, yeah, until you know what you're, you know, what, what they're asking for. I mean, it's like Siakam. He's their best player. So they got to get something really good for him, whether in, in players, in picks. And, and then of course, uh, you know, he's making a lot of money and, and how he, but, but I mean, if you, you get a Siakam yeah, to me, uh, that's one you look at because if you really want to contend in the West, which is the way the West is now, if you had him, you could, Sure, you could, <laughs> but absolutely. But then if you have to give up half your team to get him, then you can't. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the dangers of having a general manager like Monty McNair, not a danger in the sense of, of it's bad, just in the sense of as a podcaster who has to follow this team, every trade rumor that I hear about Monty McNair, I'm immediately like pulling both of my guns out and pointing him at everybody who's coming at us because Monty McNair is willing to do literally anything to get the player that he wants. You, you have a, a contract like uh, you have a, 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 a nice contract in, in Tyrese Halliburton for a kid that's going to be good for a very long time. He does not care. He will trade him away for the guy that he wants. You know, he, he, he's willing to do those things. He's willing to, to swap out things that you would think would, wouldn't, you know, would be untradeable people or untradeable contracts for the sake of getting a winning basketball player. And so, especially like a guy like um, we saw with uh, Dante DiVincenzo, they tried to get Dante DiVincenzo didn't work couple of years down the road, he pulls the trigger and gets Dante DiVincenzo there. And then just as quickly flushes that guy as soon as he realizes this isn't what he wants. A guy like Kyle Kuzma, the Wizards are one and nine in their last 10 games. They're probably as close to a fire sale as they've been in a long time. It could be a thing that Monty sees Kyle Kuzma as the answer to the question, just like he saw Sabonis as the answer to the question that maybe I, I couldn't have seen right away or whatever. And Monty's willing to pull a trigger and trade whoever the hell he wants to if he sees that there's a winning basketball player for the team that he's building, it, it terrifies me, Jerry. 
if, if you were a general manager, are these, uh, are these the types of moves that you'd be looking for? Or are you looking to, are you willing to sit there in the last year of a contract and go, no, I, I trust that this particular team can get me where we need to go. Well, I mean, I, I think you'd have to, to, to look at it, but, but there again, it, it's all about what you have to give up. I mean, certainly you've got a couple of players there for sure that you think would make you better, but they'd only make you better if you didn't have to give up too much to get them. And, and so, you know, that, that would be my concern and certainly things, you know, this team, I go back to square one, this team is way better than anybody thought that it would be at the start of the year. And I mean, yeah, you, you're, you know, Harrison Barnes will be a free agent, but I don't, I, I don't know why you wouldn't think you could resign him. Uh, you know, I'm not saying you could, I mean, but I, I don't believe that Harrison is number one on, on any other teams. We got to go pay him 40 million to get him type guy. Uh, so, so I don't know, I, I guess I'm being conservative here, but I like the team the way they are. Uh, if you, like I say, the, the only difference maker I see is, is Siaka. I mean, you know, those other two guys aren't difference makers. They're, they're, they might help you. You know, and certainly it'd help you if you didn't have to give up key guys to get them. But uh, but Siaka makes you better because he's as good or better than any player you have. And but I, my suspicion is that he's not really available. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what that be my suspicion until I know who what it would take to get him. Yeah, yeah. You want to trade some bonus for him? Okay. Now, how much better does that make you? It doesn't. <laughs> No, it doesn't at all. No, you're right, Jerry. Tony, are you, are you as a fan? Are you nervous about this kind of stuff? Are you uh, do you still have any PTSD from the Tyrese Halliburton trade, where you're you're ready for anyone to go at any time, or are you pretty settled on Monty McNair has his guys and he's willing to run the season with what he's got? Well, the one major difference is that I I think uh, Monty McNair is sitting on an extension right now, and when he made the Tyrese Halliburton trade, he was not. He was he was out of a job if he didn't turn that situation around. I think with the roster he has right now. And the way the West is playing out, if the Kings, if, if all things stay relatively the same for the rest of the year and the Kings don't extend Monty, I think you're going to have a lot of very angry, angry Kings fans that this guy did build the team and they made the playoffs and you're not giving him a contract extension. So I think that's a that's a major difference between where McNair is now and where he was last year. And my position on the Keegan Murray thing is actually like the exact same as it was on Halliburton, where the <laughs> idea of trading a young player that you have under team control for seven years for guys like Siakam who has one year left on his contract and Ananobi who has uh, one year left and then a player option. So basically one year left there too for a guy like Keegan Murray, who you have for, for seven years, I just wouldn't do it. Um, they've already up leveled, you know, the Sabonis trade was them becoming a playoff team. It appears. And at this stage, I, I just would, if, if that's the cost. And like you said, will Kings fans will, will create crazy trades where they got to give up like Alex Len and, and they'll get Pascal Siakam in return. That's not going to happen. You have to give up, a Keegan Murray. And at this stage, I just, and I could be wrong here. I just wouldn't give him him up in either one of, of those moves. I'll just stay where we're at and, and let things play out because I'd be again, perpetually terrified that these guys who the Kings trade for who are only under contract for a year or two leave and you don't really get anything out of it. So I'll stick with Keegan. Hey, here's like, here's somebody that will never trade uh, no matter what, not, not even for Michael Jordan. And that is our sponsor of the podcast. Sacramento Electric Supply now has stock on fiber and fiber accessories from 
protects logics from bulk fiber cable to splicing kits to connectors. Sacramento Electronics is now your home for your fiber cabling needs. Stop on by their location directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Or visit them online 24-7, www.sacelect.com. Okay, we're back, and uh, now we're going to get into some business here. Uh, guys, we're moving on to our Anything But King segment. Uh, this is the segment where I give uh, Tony and Jerry a chance to talk about any other game, any other team, any other storyline in the sports world that they've encountered over the last two weeks. The only rule is we do not allow them to talk about the Kings. Maybe someday we don't even allow them to talk about cooking shows, but that's that's sometime Uh-oh. way, way down the road. So, <laughs> so, uh, so Jerry, Tony, what do you guys have for us today? I'll let Tony go first because he, I've, I've been jabbering most of the night, so... <laughs> Uh, Will, I got to be honest with you, I've watched nothing but the Kings again for the second week in a row. Um, we did. Can, can I go back to TV? Because that's about all I got for you. <laughs> you know, what? yeah, sure. Absolutely. Tony. Go ahead. All right. I'm going back. I'm going back to TV. Nothing else in the sports world. We finished our uh, Seinfeld rewatch. It was the first time I had watched Seinfeld beginning to end in, in, I don't know, 15 years and not breaking any news here for sure. But the finale is even worse than I remembered it being. I don't know, Will, if you're a big Seinfeld guy or uh, Jerry. I'm pretty sure you've you've watched the series the whole way through. The finale, like take the clip part out of it. Yes, it's a clip show. That's fine. But even just the 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 writing for the characters outside of the clip parts did not feel like Seinfeld. It felt weird. It felt off. It was terrible. Uh, we almost didn't finish it after going through the entire season just because that finale was so disappointing. So, Will, that's what I've been tearing through. No sports, uh, no no football, no no World Cup. A little bit of World Cup, but not a lot of World Cup. It's been mostly just tearing through that final season of Seinfeld. And now now we're through and have nothing else to watch. So I'll take recommendations. Jerry, what about you? What do you have this week? Well, uh, basically, you know, <laughs> as much as I love golf, I couldn't find anything to watch except they had a, a, a partner kind of tournament where I, I actually had a couple of females played with guys, Nellie Corda. And Lexi Thompson, because they they basically hit it about as far as the guys do, and so I watched that. And I kind of enjoyed it, but uh, you know I'm going into to golf shock. You know I need some golf. I have to wait till late uh, January before they start up again. And then I did watch the Tiger and Rory against Justin Thomas and uh, Jordan Spieth, and of course uh, you know one of those made for TV. It was a lot of fun and. Uh, you know, it was really enjoyable. Like Justin Thomas said, it was the the real joy was just seeing how pissed T- Tiger was losing the. <laughs> you know they, you know they they all idolized him. You know, but I mean, it's they all grew up idolized him as they should have. But uh, but anyway, so so there's that. And then one final thing, and this is off target here, but but uh, Paul Silas uh, passed away uh, just recently, oh, and yeah. you know I got to know Paul pretty well uh I, like i say i always you know as a younger person in the league you know you meet a lot of guys who you certainly knew as players and and, and there's some like a paul westfall or paul silas that uh certainly i was aware of how good they were and all that but i didn't realize they're even, even better guys you know just easy to be around uh 
excellent. He was just an excellent basketball man. Kings fans probably don't know, but he was the second choice uh, for the coaching job when Rick Adelman got it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was involved in a couple of interviews with him, but, uh, you know, like I say, some of my heroes, just like a lot of people I met and I, I was kind of glad to get away from them. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they weren't <laughs> who I thought they were. I wanted them to be. And, uh, you know, Paul Silas was, boy, he was, I always say he was kind of like Willis Reed, uh, had the great reputation and he was even more deserving and better of anything you could say about him. And uh, I think his son is the same way. So, yeah, really, really going to be missed. And, uh, you know, like I say, just uh, my first meeting with him, he treated me as an equal. and I certainly wasn't. And so I always appreciated that. That's great. Jay, I don't know how to follow this up by saying I watched the Cavs game where they kicked the crap out of the Warriors in the last few seconds, but <laughs> but that was a <laughs> but that was a I, I went back and watched that game where the Warriors uh, were down four points with or the Warriors were up four points with like twelve seconds left and ended up losing that game. So uh, that would be mine, but I, I'll try to end it more on, on closer to yours than, than than anything I've got to say about a damn Jazz game. Okay, so, uh, so Tony, let's roll over to you for our uh, Patreon question of the day. All right. Uh, thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons or the King's Herald community. Uh, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash King's Herald. We ask one question on this podcast, and then every leftover question that doesn't get answered by Jerry here, we record a Q&A on Patreon once a month where we ask all the extra questions. So you can, if you don't hear it on this podcast, you can subscribe to that and hear it there. Uh, this question, uh, getting into, I guess the holiday season here, cause I think it's the last time we'll be recording until Christmas. Um, purple black pill asks, what is Jerry's favorite and least favorite Christmas song? Hmm. Well, boy, you're talking about probably the least Christmassy person in the history of Christmas. Oh, really? Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, once you get past 12 years old, it loses something for you personally. Yeah, a little bit. And, yeah. and, once, and once your kids get past, you know, my, when mine are in their 40s and 50s, it, uh, so it, so I'm now, now Mrs. Reynolds, she, uh, just the opposite. We have our Christmas lights up. Uh, as soon as Thanksgiving passes, mm-hmm. she's, uh, you know, she's got a, got her cul-de-sac lit up and then make, makes everybody else mad. They got to put theirs up. And, and uh, so, but as far as Christmas, I, I mean, I, I probably enjoy White Christmas just because I grew up with it as a, mm-hmm. you know, kind of gets you in the mood. And uh, I guess Jingle Bells uh, never, you know, what the hell's that mean anyway? Uh, so, so anyway, so, <laughs> you know, I, so you probably asked the wrong guy and I apologize, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for Christmas. Don't get me wrong. And I loved it. And I really enjoyed it when I was a little kid and I enjoyed it when my kids were kids. Uh, but uh, after that, like I say, you know, I mean, when you get to the stage where, where the, where your kids want money or, and, or, or, uh, or, or uh, cards, you know, gift cards, uh, it just, you lose something. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, my, I got to tell you this story that my wife does and bless her heart. She's, 77 going on 17 and but she 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 still wraps everything i don't care what it is she'll wrap it you know what i mean it's it's like it's like i i she got me a 
a new pair of running or walking shoes and uh which and then she showed them to me but now she'll wrap them up and put them under the damp tree and then so 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 make anyway, you work for it well so so that's just all i can tell you is that's uh like I say, that's just part of the aging process, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I always said, I don't mind getting old. I mean, honestly, my, my body gets traumatized, but I don't mind it. But, but that, that crystal, so Christmas, the Christmas spirit gets uh, kind of lost in that a little bit as well. Well, there you go. Well, we, hey, we ask every question. Will, you got to have an answer here. I, I do. I do have, uh, and Jerry, I'm so glad to have a fellow like I don't want to say anti-Christmas. I'm not a big Christmas guy. Christmas is not a is not in my top five or six holidays. But um, let's see here. Okay, I saw that question. And I had time to think about it because uh, I don't like Christmas music. I worked retail for a while, yep. and like having a month of just listening to Christmas music will kill any small bit of the Christmas spirit that you have left. Um, my favorite Christmas song is "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." but mostly because there's an original version of it that Judy Garland absolutely hated. She, Judy Gar So Judy Garland um, sang that song in Meet Me in St. Louis, I think is the name of the movie. And the original version of the song is kind of a downer where it's a, uh, uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Um, <laughs> yeah, vaguely threatening. And then it's a next year, we may all be living in the past. And so, like, it's kind of a, a sad Christmas song, and I, I'm a I'm a sucker for sad music. I'm a sucker for downer music like that. Um, uh, the end of it is um, someday soon we'll be we'll all be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll just have to muddle through somehow. And Frank Sinatra changed that to the Hang a Shining Star upon the Highest Bow. So, like, I like the original. I heard somebody sing it one time a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, this is. This is a really sad Christmas. Like I've never heard this version of it. And a few years ago, then I looked it up and did a bunch of research on it. It turns out Judy Garland, when she had to sing it for Meet Me in St. Louis, was like, I am not singing this bummer of a song. You need to go change it. And she pulled her star power and and they wrote this version of it that is now just a happy go lucky version of the song. But the the downer version I like. There you go. It's a little, it's vaguely threatening, and, and that's the best Christmas can be, is vaguely threatening. The worst Christmas song is Christmas Shoes, which I don't know if you've heard that one, but it's about mm. a guy who's standing in line, <laughs> who hates Christmas, just like me, who sees a little dirty kid trying to buy shoes for his mom, and his mom is dying of cancer, and the kid has, he runs six cents short and can't pay for the shoes, and turns around to this jerk of a guy who hates Christmas, and the guy pays for the shoes. And at the end of the song, the guy's like, man, now I really know what Christmas is about. And like, mm -hmm. the kid the kid yeah. has to beg for money because his mom's dying. Oh, man, I'm, I'm tear come my eyes. I feel, <laughs> I, I feel bad about myself now. Oh, man. I, I, I heard that song uh, when I was in high school at like a church recital. And I was like, this might be the worst song I've ever heard. And it, I've heard it like three times since then. It's absolutely the worst Christmas song in the world. It's it's not it's a bummer in a bad way, not a bummer in a good way. Like my first one, so Tony, Tony there is my very sad answer to that song. Will to that question, I gotta say, Christmas shoes by being the worst Christmas song is actually my favorite Christmas song. It's so it's so oh, bad. No, everyone, stop record. Go to YouTube. Put on Christmas shoes. 
And the reason why I say that is also, I also don't like Christmas music that much. I've heard every song 10 million times. It's, it's all, it's all whatever, but I, I end up watch, listening to Christmas shoes more than any other Christmas song, because I'm always like, you have to listen to this. It's so bad. Please let's all gather around the phone and watch this together at every Christmas function. Cause it's so bad. So it ends up being, I guess the one I like the most, cause I listen to it the most, even though it is truly the worst, maybe the worst song ever made. It's so bad. But it's yes. great. It's it's like it's a piece of art in how terrible it is. It's like it almost is so bad that it's good. It's one of those type of songs. You might be the first person I've ever met, Tony, that also knows Christmas shoes. I have to show it to everybody I know because it's horrible. That's what I mean. You end horrendous. up actually listening to it a lot because you yes. show it to everyone. And it's the only song that I put on on purpose. So it's got to be my favorite in some twisted type of way, too. So there we go. Christmas oh shoes getting a lot of play on the podcast today. Oh, boy. <laughs> we're, we're, the three wise men we may not be but no. we are we are three sad sacks i'll give you that i know one thing by by first of january i'll be sick of michael buble and all of his christmas songs <laughs> yeah. i'll tell you that because <laughs> if mrs reynolds plays them you know 20 hours a day yeah. i have to but anyway bah humbug <laughs> <laughs> all right jerry we're running over to you now for the reynolds wrap-up what do you got for us this week well you know, I was, I, I just got to tell you, I, speaking of Mrs. Reynolds, we just, you know, we had a little argument, you know, as, as people are wont to do that have been married. I know you guys probably have. And, and she was, she was just telling me, said, you know, said, you know, you have two main faults. And I, what? She said, you just, you know, you just don't listen. And I said, and, and what's the other one? And she said, I can't remember. And so I said, wait a minute. Uh, you're just like me. <laughs> you're, you're exactly yeah. like me. You don't listen and you can't remember what the other one is. So, you know, I mean, all I can tell you is as the years go by, you know, you have more fun with them. I'll tell you what, by gollies, you know, a couple old farts, you know, just yelling and bitching at one don't even know why. Don't even know why. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You, yeah. You can't. You can't beat it. You know. I. I. I recommend. I don't recommend getting old right away. But as you go, it. It. Uh, you just grow right into it, fellas. You'll just grow right into it. You just. You know. They'll just. They'll just. Uh, you know. Basically. Just suck the life out of you. Your soul is uh, just. It's <laughs> is just for, for their just whatever they want it to be and 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 then you actually the best part is you you're okay with it. you're just yeah. okay with it. <laughs> so this is the christmas episode of the the king Charles show we'd like to thank you guys for listening we'd like to <laughs> we'd like to wish you a merry we do, we do holiday season have a happy christmas <laughs> that's for sure yeah we're just not going to give it to you go out and find it elsewhere you know the old saying life liberty and pursuit of happiness you got to pursue your own happiness we can't do it for you <laughs> Uh, uh, so for everyone here at the King's Herald, I want to thank you guys for uh, listening to another episode. I want to thank uh, Tony and Jerry for having to uh, to put up with me all year long. I know we got at least one episode left before the end of the year, but uh, this has been a this has been a somewhat cursed episode. Just trying to get it out to you guys. Uh, you'll never know the behind the scenes parts of this of this show, but uh, oh. thank you guys for a year's worth of patience and. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you guys uh, after Christmas at some point. So you all have a, have a happy holiday season, and we will talk to you soon.